1: I'm serious. It's time to put the F-word back in parenting. Fun parenting. Oh my gosh, why can't we do this? Why can't we have dance parties in our kitchens? I don't understand. And now,
0: here's your host, Tara Kennedy Klein.
1: Hey Parent Nation, welcome to the show. It is a such a dreary day here today. I like I can't stand dreary, rainy mornings. I have my hoodie on. I'm freezing and, um, and it's like only the beginning of October. So, you know, the, uh, the farmer's almanac says it's going to be a freezing cold freaking winter and I'm not excited about it. (laughs) Not at all. But I am so excited about our show today. So, um, I am today on today's show, we're going to be talking to, um, two people who bring a very interesting, um, perspectives to parenting that we don't often talk about on the show. I mean, we talk about, um, you know, how to listen to our kids better and that sort of thing. But today we're going to be talking about some more uh, niched and and pretty serious topics. So uh, my first guest uh, after our first break is Dr. Mary Barbera, who I know well, and, uh, you know, we've, we've spoken at the same conferences, not together, but at the same conferences. And um, she is uh, a mother of two teens and her youngest son or her oldest son actually has autism And she was a nurse at the time and kind of dove into all things autism, as most of us do when we find out that our kids are diagnosed with that. But she became certified in applied behavioral analysis, which I find to be a phenomenal method to work with any kid um, and husbands and even some pets. And uh, but she's (laughs) she is written a book about it, um, the verbal behavioral approach, which I love. And she's going to be on in the second segment, talking to us about that. And then in our third segment, we're going to be talking with Molly Gill, who is a government affairs. um, She is on the government affairs council for families against mandatory minimums. She's going to be talking to us about teen sexting and, uh, and how we should be handling that could be handling that. And how mandatory minimum sentences are actually killing our kiddos. So I and um, and I don't mean literally, but, you know, we'll we'll be talking about some some uh, some prison sentences that literally are killing people and uh, and why they shouldn't have been in jail in the first place. So I'm excited to talk to her in the third segment about what we can do about this teen teen sexting thing that doesn't involve locking up our kids. So, hey, Kelly, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. I made it. You made it. Oh, <laughs> I, I almost didn't make it this morning. I had to put up oh, my no. hood. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But I had to like, <laughs> I'm freaking freezing. I had to put up my uh-huh. hood and, uh, you know, get warm so I could get motivated. Are you freezing from the weather or are you still fit? You know, here's the thing that sucks. A little bit of both. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's like 60-something and raining and dreary and cold here in beautiful PA. So I think the uh, the fuzzy caterpillars were right. I think it's going to be a suck winter.
2: Mm. Well, we're stupid. still in the 90s, and we're supposed to hit 100 on
1: Wednesday. <laughs> I'll be right there. I'll, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll be there within the week. So, <laughs> uh, It was like 75 over the weekend, and I was like, yay, keep going. You can do it. Mother Nature. I don't know. I think the globe uh, is shifting. You know. I don't know. I think there might be something to all this climate change stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, the mother can do whatever she wants. So she is the boss. Mm-hmm. I told you that story, right? I don't we think in, so. My, my dad and I were my dad and I were traveling to New Orleans for a race. We used to time sports events. And uh, Mm -hmm. we were traveling to New Orleans for a race and we kept hitting delay after delay after delay. And we were finally standing in the airport and it was pouring down rain and they were going to delay our flight again, which meant we would have to fly out the next morning. And we were talking to the airline attendant guy and he had like a very thick Latino accent. And Mm -hmm. we were talking to him and we were like, this is, this is ridiculous. This is horrible. And he looks at us and he goes, ah, mother nature. She is the boss.
3: <laughs> That's good. I like that. Like damn right Skippy. Yeah,
1: she is. Guess he told so, you, didn't he? He did in a very polite flight attendant way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I've been dealing with a lot of flight attendants lately. I know. I'm finding that they're 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 actually polarizing. Like you you either get Southwest happy, right? Or or you get this is my fourth leg today and I don't even want to deal with your shit. And like, Mm -hmm. that's, that's at seven o'clock in the morning. I, I'm like, I don't know. I think if your job is to support people while they're at 30,000 feet going several hundred miles an hour in a tin can, I think you should (laughs) have to be freaking happy.
3: Yes, Definitely.
1: Really. And even if you get somebody who's maybe not cooperative, I think that you should have to have some level of psychology training to know that that person is probably scared or mm-hmm. tired or hungry or, you know, sad. You have to go to the puppies. bathroom. Right. And, and they've been sitting in the plane for four hours and haven't been allowed to go. It's not possible. That's, Lufthansa, that's their, Lufthansa's byline. Is not possible. <laughs> Everything I wanted is not possible. I'm like, I'm gonna pee on your foot. How possible is that? Very, very possible that I'm gonna pee on your foot if you don't oh. let me go to the bathroom right now. See, it's not possible. Oh my goodness gracious. So, anywho, yeah, I, I, I think airline. I met a flight attendant. I was with a flight attendant at the retreat that we were on a week ago, mm-hmm. and. uh, She was just the most awesome person on the planet, and I thought that's – that's like you should have a natural state. That should be your natural state should be happy and supportive if that's your career choice. Sure. Yeah? Don't you think? Unless you're like one of those those airline cops, then Then you should be scary and intimidating, but (laughs) – But don't serve me my Bloody Mary then. Right. You just sit in the
2: corner, keep your eyes open.
1: Exactly over there, MacGyver. You just sit over there and act intimidating Vin Diesel, whoever (laughs) you are. I'm just going to throw out random names of intimidating smart people on TV, and then you'll (laughs) get it. So, anywho, I've been watching the news. Oh, let me tell you, Kelly. One thing that I have discovered, um, so my body was not enjoying alcohol through my whole um, recovery right. from, from cholera. Yeah, and um, right. what I've discovered is I'm, I really don't need to drink as much as I've been. Oh, that's,
4: that's
1: an epiphany. It is an epiphany. My kids are quite tolerable. When I'm not drinking and who knew, like apparently (laughs) from like the ages of 12 to 16, they became somewhat tolerable. (laughs) It's, it's actually kind of cool except for one thing. My 16 year old now has decided that he's not, he's no longer a morning person. And that just irritates me because it takes everything I have to get out of bed with them in the morning Right. because I don't have to, let's face it. I don't have to. My job right. does not require me to be up at six o'clock in the morning. It just doesn't.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, lucky me, go me, you know, be an entrepreneur then. And, um, so my 16-year-old my used to be like bounce out of bed and be perfectly joyous and, and happy for mom to make him breakfast. And now he comes down at the last minute. He comes downstairs at the last minute and he acts like it's everybody else's fault that he can't find his stuff. Like mm. all, this, all this stuff that we raised them their entire lives to be aware of. You know what I mean? Like right. get your things prepared the night before so we don't have drama in the morning. Like we invented that shit. And, (laughs) you know, and now all of a sudden, now that he has a driver's license and some control over when he leaves for Mm -hmm. school, now he's turning into an asshat. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I'm going to have to put that in the bud. And it's hard. It's hard to nip it in the bud when they are, you know, nearly a foot taller than you and outweigh you by a hundred pounds. Right. I get that. But yet he's still my child. Mm-hmm. So I hear you. you know so, you know, there's gonna have to be boundaries. And if those boundaries mean, you know, mom pulls the old taking the car keys thing, I guess that's what I'm gonna have to do. And but here's the thing: check me on this, Kelly, because sometimes even coaches need checks. Mm-hmm. Check, uh, check my attitude. So, um, is it unfair of me to expect him to be polite in the morning or is my expectation limited to be ready to go and don't make it everybody else's problem?
2: Um, I think you should have a little leeway on that, but maybe a little talk with them about the attitude, especially if it continues. Yeah. I, I don't I do that with my daughter. I let her, I let her be a little bit sassy here and there, um, just knowing, if you know, she might be going through something or she needs to talk. So I let it go at the moment, and then I come back. I circle back with her and talk about, hey, you know, is something going on with you or do I need to know about something?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, and see, this is why we need to check in with each other because what you just brought up for me was my son in Friday's football game – Got a concussion. Oh. Yeah. And although he's fine, he's okay, he still has to go through the five-day rehab after a doctor diagnoses him with the concussion. He wasn't diagnosed yet. They wanted us to observe him. They said it wasn't important that he see a doctor right away because he wasn't vomiting, losing consciousness. His pupils weren't oddly dilated. You know, it was all those things that they check for with a concussion. Right. And um, so when we called to make the appointment with the doctor, they can't get him in until tomorrow. So Mm. now he can't start his five day rehab, concussion rehab until Thursday which means he can't play in the upcoming game, which is fine. He can't play in this Friday's game, which is fine. But now he might not be able to play in the following week's game either, which is a big Uh. deal. So, you know, thanks for checking me on that, Kelly, because it made me kind of reflect as to what might be going on with him right now. And I think, yeah, I think he's in a bad place. Right. And and if you
2: start talking about it right in that moment, like with an upset attitude, it's not going to help.
1: Yep. You're absolutely right. So I needed to just let him go through his whatever this morning. And I mean, and and the the crap that he's going through right now really did affect the rest of the family because he pulled out a notebook that he thought was his like a three ring binder that he thought mm-hmm. was his. And when he realized it wasn't his, he threw it on the table. And then all my boys left for school. Come to find out it was little teens, civics binder Ugh. for social studies. So now he didn't have his homework that he completed and his teacher's mm. kind of a dick. So, you know, right. so now, you know, so, so his bad mood affected other people. And maybe right. that's the conversation that needs to be had, you know, not you, you need to be happy every morning because who's, who is that? Right. Nobody, you know, right. the, well, some people, and I don't even like them, but <laughs> <laughs> if you're perpetually happy in the morning, we can't be friends. I'm just putting that out there. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, see, conversation is good. And this is what parent nation needs more of. This kind of conversation. You know? Yes. Not the mommy wars make me wrong for my belief, but the hey have you thought about it this way.
4: And that right. started
1: by me asking you permission. Yes. We need to do that more. I think you know did you he, did you read about the mom who's um, speaking of civics homework? Did you read about the mom who her seventh grade son now think about seventh grade. I mean, you're pretty mm-hmm. in it, you know you're you're into some deep issues in seventh grade in school sure. Her seventh grade son brings home homework from world cultures class talking about the Muslim faith uh-huh. And she writes on it, my kid will not partake in this lesson, and this is poor teaching, and these are poor teaching methods, and if you force this, you will be hearing from our lawyer, and blah, 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 blah. If she would have just stepped back and contacted the teacher and said, right now I'm super offended. I'm going to be transparent with you. Right now I'm super offended by this not by you, but by what, what came home with my child, please explain the value of this to my kid. The teacher probably would have been able to say, well, you know, if you read in the curriculum, it is world cultures class. Um, We teach about other world cultures. You know, she started like writing like I Corinthians twenty three and you know Ephesians this, and she's she's like writing down all of these biblical things that she thinks her son should be studying, in in lieu of the Koran, but never once considered that maybe they do have an entire segment or chapter on Christ and Christianity as well as Judaism and you know, all that other stuff. So I think we need to stop jumping and start talking more. Sure. Look at how well it worked out for me. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And big teen, you know, (laughs) and you don't have to be, you don't even have to be a coach to use this method. It's called, it's called open your mouth and have a conversation. Right. Right. With words that make your vocal cords work, not just <laughs> right, type after. things.
2: Right. Just kind of give us what's going on and then open your ears and listen.
1: That's the secret right there, right, Kelly? Yeah. That part, that part where you ask the question <laughs> and then you zip it right. and just <laughs> receive an answer. And then if you don't like the answer, then you can throw back another question. But not an instant. Mm, right? I know, I know. Then it's getting deep. Now, take baby now we're steps, getting take serious. Baby steps. Now, baby steps. I know. Maybe just ask and receive. And then you can work towards that actual conversation thing. <sighs> yeah, I like it. So, we're going to be talking a lot about conversations that we need to be having with our kids, yeah. with our guests. I already introduced them when we were waiting for you. Right. So. Right. It was all good. I heard the ending of that. Yeah. (laughs) Good people. We got good people on. Yes, we do. Yeah. And uh, I just want to remind everybody. And uh, again, another reminder of the value of Doc on Call 24-7. What I found out was when you get diagnosed for a concussion, you actually do have to go to a doctor. But how nice to know that I had Doc on Call that I could just contact them and say this is what's going on and they were able to give me information over the phone and uh i didn't have to go to a waiting room for no reason so, uh, check them so out. great awesome and when we come back we'll be talking with dr mary barbera hold on
4: paper ready it's the sociable homeschooler vivian mcninney fridays at five four central on togynet.com.
3: Don't want to take your sick child out of the house? Doc On Call gives you access to U.S. board certified doctors by phone or video conference. Avoid illness in waiting rooms. Don't take time off work. Call from the comfort of your own home. Get prescriptions when appropriate. No health restrictions. And the best part, no consultation fee. Don't put off going to the doctor. For only $18 per month, get 24-7 access to doctors for you and your family. Go to Doc On Call 247. 247-
1: Hey, Paranation. Welcome back to the show. I am really, really excited for our first guest today, uh, Dr. Mary Barbera. I met her years ago when I myself was going through um, what what (laughs) Dr. Barbera calls gung-ho parenting when my son was just recently diagnosed with autism, and I just attended every conference and read every book available, and I was bound and determined to find out everything about this autism thing that was going on with my kid, and... uh, Uh, Dr. Barbera did the same thing pretty much. She she has two teen sons. Her son, Lucas, uh, was diagnosed with autism when he was three years old, and she was a nurse um, in Philadelphia at the time. And so she kind of, um, as she says, it fell into this autism world and, you know, head first, as most of us do. And she got uh, certified in uh, behavioral analysis, applied behavioral analysis, which is a process that we eventually used with Alex. And um, I, I find to be very beneficial for pretty much all kids. (laughs) <laughs> when we're when we're trying to teach them and, and mold them. And uh, she wrote a book called The Verbal Behavior Approach, which became a bestseller in several different languages. So she is doing wonderful thing with gung-ho parents in over 20 countries and five continents, which is pretty impressive. Hey, Dr. Barbera, how are you? Can I call you, Mary?
3: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Call me Mary, Tara. I'm so thrilled to be here, Tara, and... Um... <laughs> I've been following you, and you're doing great things online, and so I've been, you know, we met years ago, like you said, and it's just a real pleasure to be here and um, be with you today.
1: Hey, thanks. I, I just love the work that you do. You know, I've seen your presentations, and the work that you did with your son, Lucas, is just absolutely amazing. So what do you, you've started online programming now,
3: Yes. Yeah, so um, for years, I've been trying to um, figure out online programming because, as you said, my book, the verbal behavior approaches, is you know was published in two thousand and seven, which means I wrote it in two thousand and six. So it's it's about ten years old now, and um, I, you know, it it's done much better than I ever dreamed possible. I mean, we've got the information out to over, you know, the book's been sold more than 30,000 copies, and it's in eight languages, so really a worldwide audience, and I do um, get emails, you know, frequently from people all over the world saying, oh, you, have, you know, your book helps my son, and this, and this um, you know, help them learn to talk or, you know, I couldn't have gotten my child potty trained without your book. There's a chapter on potty training, you know, so just a lot of good feedback from all over the world. And I'm thinking, you know, as the book's getting older and I'm working, um, with children for the hundreds, if not thousands of children over the last 10 years, as a behavior analyst, I'm thinking, you know, the book only skims the surface, and really, a lot of people would learn much better with videos, mm-hmm. with step-by-step instructions. So I you know, was, was really trying to figure it all out, and just this past spring, spring 2015, I, I launched my first course called Autism ABA Help, an online program for professionals and gung-ho parents. And, um, it worked out, you know, I, the course was really in development when I, uh, you know, sold it and it it has just been awesome. And my first thought was I was going to just target parents, Mm -hmm. um, not professionals. And, and then I went to Germany to do a two day presentation in November, of last year and and the professionals there it was mostly a professional audience said no you can't make it just for parents we behavior analysts we need the information
1: yeah
3: um so I decided to combine it like I do for my lectures and just speak to a general crowd so and then my gung-ho parents um in the title I was thinking well is that too cutesy and I, you know um so I didn't I didn't you don't need to be an expert parent. You don't need to be a, you know, a novice parent, just somebody that is gung-ho. So I looked up the definition for gung-ho and I actually printed it out here. It's unthinkingly enthusiastic and eager, especially about taking part in fighting or warfare. So I thought that pretty much summed up. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, your your journey as well as my journey. I mean, really, it is about you know just going the extra mile. And I used to call us piranha moms, and um, so you know it's just it's just getting the information. Yeah. There's multiple people with multiple backgrounds, and you know your son is at a different level than my son in terms of abilities. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of finding the information you need to help your child get to the next level, whatever that is.
1: Right. And it's so funny that you say that because so for your son, the therapy provided initially the ability for him to communicate and speak and, you know, and ask for what he wanted and those kinds of things. For my son, who's on a different level, but still considered on the autism spectrum, it allowed him to be mainstreamed into a mainstream classroom and some people are like oh well how can you even compare the two in our little in our little bubble that was that was our war that was our fight right. you know so each one of us is in our own little we each have our own separate goals you know right. that for our kids but your the the aba therapy and your practices and your book provide a a vehicle for us to reach those goals and then move on to the next one, whatever that next one may be. I mean, we're actually at a place now where we're, we're actually considering college. Right. And I mean, honestly, Mary, we thought that our son would be living with us for the rest of his life. You know, I mean, so this is ex- a huge process. I mean, this isn't this isn't just some you know like oils that you're that you're putting on the back of his tongue and hoping that it works. This is serious work that has lasting, wonderful effects.
3: Right, right. So throughout my course, which the first two times I launched it, um, it was a five week program, and so everyone would be getting the content in unit one first and then the next week they get unit two and we did some live question and answer calls now today actually I just opened the cart for launch number three so now it is uh, 90 days of access to the whole program 90 days of a private Facebook group where you can interact with me and others other parents and professionals and um, 90-day access so that um, we can we can serve the needs of more people Just from Cohort 1 and Cohort 2, which was purchased by about 130, 135 people, that doesn't sound like that many. Out of the 130 people, there were representatives from 21 different countries spanning five continents, which, like, blows my mind. Like, I could see that if it was... A thousand or two thousand people to have that much representation. I mean, it is amazing, and that how everyone has come together. There has been no requests for refunds. I offer a fourteen-day money-back guarantee. There has been just tremendous positive feedback, and and some refinement of the course along the way to make it better and better and serve the needs of everybody. So I'm super excited to launch it again um, today and. For people out there listening, it's only going to be open for a few weeks, but the cart will be open for a few weeks. But you can go to autismabahelp.com.
1: That's awesome. So tell us, give the, the, for the listeners who aren't familiar with ABA, give us just an example of what one of your strategies would look like.
3: Okay. So, so ABA is stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. So it is the science of changing behavior. So as you said in the introduction, ABA is not just for kids with special needs. It is for typically developing kids. It's for husbands. It's for animals. (laughs) It's it's basically the the science of using positive reinforcement, using skills such as assessment, so you can see, you know, your goals are different for your son than they are for my son based on their where their starting point are, right. you know, not starting when they're three, starting now, you know, reassessment. Okay, now college is an option for your son potentially, you know, so what goals do we have to set? So really stepping way, way back, I mean, even if you don't have a child with autism, if you have a child with speech delays or you have just a toddler at home and you want to help them um, – talk better you know so so one of the one of the really easy um techniques that i created a couple of years ago working with um really young kids with the diagnosis of autism or with autism um symptoms is just get a um get a shoebox which everybody has shoeboxes at home cut a slit in the top of a shoebox And get pictures of family members or flashcards you can get from the dollar store and just um, hold up the picture of of yourself, mommy, and say, mommy, mommy, and hand it to the child. All they have to do is put it in the box. And that kind of pairing the word um, with the picture Mm -hmm. will sometimes produce then some more language. So that's just a very simple ABA technique that I I kind of created for kids that couldn't match, couldn't label, couldn't ask for things they wanted. You know, just really early learners um, just bring that box to a table and don't let the child play with it without you. You know, you need to to just start teaching the child and start pairing the words, just like if you were learning a foreign language. You know, if I paired, you know, if I talk in whole long sentences in a foreign language, you're not going to understand anything. Mm -hmm. But if I begin to pair things like water with the with the correct term for water, you're going to be like, hey, I'm going to put that in the back of my mind when I want water again. I'm going to say this.
1: Right. It's I mean, it's the Helen Keller approach. Seriously, you inundate them with as many examples and descriptions of that one thing as you can simplified, you know, and and then it's a reward and then it's a positive reward,
3: positive reinforcement. And um, so my whole program and ADA in general is to increase um, good behavior, like talking and touching body parts and potty training and all that. Um, important learning skills to increase all that good stuff and decrease the problem behaviors. So it's like a scale and we may need to calibrate that, um, you know, every day, every hour, minute by minute. Um, But using my system that I developed over the past, I, I worked for mostly within schools from 2003 to 2010 um, through a big grant from the Pennsylvania Department of Education and that program is still going on. Um, it's, uh, you can get more information about the Autism ABA initiative in Pennsylvania by going to P-A-T-T-A-N dot net. Mm-hmm. Um, but I left that project in 2010 and began working with really little children through the Birth to Three program in my county. And that's really where I developed um, my own system for how I go in, how I initially get the child to stop tantruming and start talking, and how I train parents and professionals. So it's really more of a step-by-step. So it's much better than even seeing me live or reading my book because it's every – um, unit, You get homework, you get, you know, so that you can just take it in chunks and say, well, that didn't work. I wonder why. And then that's where you could post to the Facebook group and say, I'm having trouble. Like I watched it and I tried to do the homework, but it's not working.
1: And see, you know, Mary, it's funny because when we initially went through the ABA process, it's when it was ridiculously expensive and, you know, the luckily we were we received a grant for it or we wouldn't have been able to do it. And it was one of those things where a therapist came in, ran through the whole process, life was hunky-dory, and then she left at the end of five days and my son literally physically fought with me while she was driving out of the driveway. and mm-hmm. And when I tried to uphold what she had taught... He was like, I thought we were done when she left. And what a lot of in-home therapists don't realize is what you provide with ongoing support is essential for these, these types of processes to work. So many parents have come to me and said, well, that process didn't work. I tried it. And I'm like, no, the process works. You failed it. And I know that's a harsh way to say it, but you dropped it. You stopped doing it because it got too hard or you didn't remember. And with what you do, I love that you have this continuing education piece of it because that's what parents really need. We're learning something very new and battling this thing that is such an emotional trauma to us to begin with. And so the, the, the process that you use and the way that you teach it and the ongoing support through Facebook and, and you know, the continuing education is so vital. And I just – I absolutely love the way that works. And I love that you've customized it to the individual families. And now if we could just get families to realize that the reason it works is because parents are getting involved. You're, you're not just taking your kid to a therapist and saying, fix my kid. You're actually getting on the floor with the shoebox and the pictures and your child, and you're doing it. And that's the thing that I absolutely love about what you do. I can't believe we're out of time. These things go so darn quick. That's well, I crazy. I really appreciate
3: you um, having me on and helping to spread the word to
1: help kids all around the world. Absolutely. I'll never stop. With people like us, we're going to we're going to you know, I don't believe that there is a cure for autism, but I believe that there is a way to teach families and children to live with it in a very productive and healthy way. And so, you know, I, I think that what you do is is invaluable and awesome. So thank you right. for what you do. And your book is called The Verbal Behavior Approach and right. um, and the process that is where can we autism help?
3: To- i right? Autismabahelp.com is where you can learn more about my my online program
1: awesome and
3: um either um if you if you go there today or in the next couple of weeks the cart will be open and if you go there and the cart's closed just sign up for the waiting list because we'll reopen again in the winter awesome
1: thank you so much mary when we come back we're going to be talking to molly Gill about teen sexting so stay tuned
5: I was returning from a summer vacation using my GPS to guide me through the New Mexico mountains and got lost. Since I was alone, I decided to see if my iPhone pal Siri, the lovable anthropomorphic virtual assistant, could help with my situation. Siri has earned a bit of a reputation as a sarcastic, sassy, and brickety companion, often engaging in humorous baffle gab. Siri is entertaining, but I found it a bit unnerving as she kept asking me questions by calling my name, like, Carolyn, I cannot find any gas stations within 80 miles of your location. Or, Carolyn, there are no hamburger restaurants near here. What's a word for feeling your thoughts are being stolen? Neucleptia. It's
4: words you never heard.
5: I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas.
1: Hey Parent Nation, welcome back to the show. That was awesome talking with Mary. She was pretty cool. Yes. She lives really close to me too. so she's Oh, okay. A smart, yeah, she's a smart cookie. I, yeah. I really like her. I, I have a feeling that if enough people like us get involved, um, and it's not just psychologists and psychiatrists and, and Jenny McCarthy, that I think that we can really make a difference for the autism community, and that's really exciting to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. So anyway... Oh, yeah. I just wanted to throw that back out there. But anyway, um, so our next guest is, um, her name is Molly Gill, and she's on the Government Affairs Council for Families Against Mandatory Minimums. And I didn't know what that was, so I had to look it up. It's amazing what this, what this organization does. Um, they work with federal legislators and um, family members that are affected by mandatory minimums, um, you know, people in crim- criminal justice, and they're... They're trying to make uh, mandatory minimums. They're trying to do away with mandatory minimums, and they're trying to basically make the punishment fit the crime. Who'd have thunk it, you know, (laughs) right? And um, she also serves as a commissioner on the District of Columbia Sentencing and Criminal Code Revision Commission. And the reason that I wanted her on the show today is because there have been several cases of teenagers who were arrested for sexting and were given minimum mandatory sentences for um, basically child pornography, even though it was a picture of themselves, if they were under 18 or 16, whatever state they were in they were given a mandatory minimum sentence for child pornography. And so I want to talk about this because I think it's important. So I'm glad Molly's here. Hey, Molly, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So, I mean, I I was astounded by some of the statistics on the website first of all because i went on the fam website f-a-m-m and it's like one of the statistics that blew my mind was we've spent 60 billion dollars on prisons and jails in 2012 alone 60 billion dollars
2: yes it is a huge dollar sum and we uh, that's nationwide state prisons as well as federal prisons um taxpayers uh don't realize that we spend that much on prisons. And certainly prisons have some value if if we're putting the right people in them and and they can enhance um, public safety that way. But the problem that we see is that we are putting a lot of people in prison who just aren't that dangerous and scary and uh, certainly don't uh, need to be there as long as we're putting them in there. So for right. example, in the the federal prison system, Most people don't know that half of all of the federal prisoners are there for drug crimes. Um, Most people are appalled by that statistic. They just can't believe it. They think they're all outpropones and nothing could be further from the truth.
1: And the thing is, what, what kind of therapy are they getting in there? What kind of rehab are they getting in there? I mean, honestly, it's supposed to be corrections. It's supposed to be a correctional facility. If you're not willing to correct them... And then put them back into society. Then what's the point?
2: Yeah, I mean, in some states, the, re- the reoffending rates are as high as two thirds. Two thirds of all people who leave prison end up going back. I mean, if you mm-hmm. had a smartphone that only worked two thirds of the time, you'd want your money back, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, and yet, and yet, we have these prison systems that are failing at these very high rates, and we're not demanding something better of, of our lawmakers for them.
1: It's, it's amazing to me because one of the programs that I contribute to um, that I actually helped spearhead where I live is a, it's, it's called the Mother's Voice Program. And basically what they do is they send tape recorders and books into the women's prison and the moms tape record themselves reading a book to their child and then they send the tape and the book to the child. And one of the statistics that that was thrown out there was that 65 percent of children with incarcerated parents will become incarcerated themselves at some point in their life. And I thought I thought there is something so, so wrong about this. We had a mom incarcerated last year because of truancy, because her her high school age student was truant. They put the mom in jail. Now, she was claustrophobic and had an anxiety attack and died mm-hmm. within within 2 days of being in in prison. But the thing is she never should have been there in the first place. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You're not correcting that child's behavior by putting the mother in prison. Right. And now what do you now you, now you have 3 kids with no mom.
2: Yeah. Um 1 in 28 children in America has a parent in prison now one in 28 so the next time you drop your kid off for school recognize that the odds are that at least one person in his or her classroom has a parent who's in prison and um you know a very very high percentage of women in prison have children a very high percentage of men in prison have children. And while these people may not be model parents in every way, um, I mean, who is a model parent? Um, you know, th- I think it's undeniable that having a parent in the home is better than having no parents at all. And yet we are creating um, many homes where there is either a single parent uh, or no parents. And uh, and ch- a lot of children are ending up redirected into the foster care system because of an incarcerated parent or or two parents, and then also we are we're seeing other ripple effects in the family um, you know if if a single parent goes to prison, that child could be Um, sense to live with a relative, perhaps an aging grandparent, and uh, that aging grandparent may not be uh, in the best position uh, or or physically capable of, of, for example, raising a a small, young, active child. Uh, So Mm -hmm. there there are lots of ways that this ripples down to families. Um, It it can be very hard to visit uh, incarcerated loved ones. Prisons are often built in the middle of nowhere um, and very difficult to get to, a lot of people who go to prison are low income, so their children and, and remaining family members left behind may not have cars, may not have the means to buy an airplane ticket, for example, and then stay in a hotel and rent a car to get to the prison. And uh, just visiting a loved one in prison can be its own financial burden on the family.
1: It's ridiculous. And yet, um, one of the things that you said was um, that uh, about the drug use. About, you know, 50 percent of the people in the federal prison system are there for drug use, correct?
2: Uh, for, for drugs, um, predominantly right. for, for selling drugs. But often this does come out of addiction. Um, and, um, you know, people get involved with using and selling drugs for, for lots of different reasons, um, drug addiction, mental health. Um, sometimes it's women who are in abusive relationships where the, the boyfriend is is. Uh, dealing the drugs and um, the women, when he gets busted, the girlfriend gets busted and she gets sent to court and sentenced just like she was the main drug dealer. And um, wow. so we we see, um, you know, lots of, of ripple effects about how, um, you, you know, families uh, can and, and relationships can land people in trouble in the system. Uh, sometimes families, um, you'll have an entire family that is involved in Sadly, in selling drugs, and and uh, and you you may have addicted family members who are sort of marginally involved and playing small roles in the offense, and yet um, under when when you know the key family member is busted, the whole family gets taken to court, and everyone gets treated like they were involved in you know some kind of major drug operation, and they can get very lengthy sentences. So, you know, FAM's position has always been that you know it's not that we think. Um, This is all good behavior or or positive for society, um, and it's not that we think nobody should be punished. But we think the punishments need to fit the crime, and we think every case is unique, and people expect to be treated like individuals when they go to court. And instead what they find is a one-size-fits-all punishment system has been set up, and sometimes those punishments fit. A lot of times they don't, and there's very little judges can do when they see a situation where the punishment doesn't fit the crime.
1: Oh, because one of the things that came to mind for me was when you said that, you know, does FAM take into account that, okay, here's a person who was busted for selling pot on the corner, and here's a person who was, you know, was high on crack and and raped and killed somebody. You know, are those both considered drug-related offenses? I think some
2: yeah some people would consider them both drug related and um you know certainly people do um violent and and scary things when they're on drugs and I would say that those people will get prosecuted for the violent and scary things that they did. Uh, if you rape somebody, you'll get prosecuted for rape, and you'll be convicted of rape and get sentenced for rape and um, so i I think um you know the the crimes that we are primarily focused on um are the ones that involve specifically um drug activity
1: okay so what about the, what about the teen sexting thing? I mean taking each each um instance on its own merit, we're seeing now that teenagers once they're becoming older. Okay, so now you have a 17-year-old girl who, um, or boy, whatever, that is sending out pictures of themselves naked to their boyfriend, and now there's an ugly breakup, as usually happens in the teenage years. Now you are you have an 18-year-old who was sending out pictures of herself when she was 17, and she's being arrested and convicted as an adult for child pornography for sending pictures of herself.
2: That's absolutely right. And, I, you know, we have these... Um, you know, very laudable goals of of trying to stop child pornography and ensure that our our children um, aren't um, subjected to that or or uh, victims of that, and that's all very laudable. But often these laws are written so broadly and and with such harsh punishments that we see these sort of absurd cases come up where you might have a son who's 18 who's dating a 15 year old, um, and technically the age of consent is 16, so she's not consenting suddenly your son is guilty of statutory rape and there's a mandatory minimum of 20 years and he'll have to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life and he'll have a felony record for the rest of his life and on and on and on. And then with the child pornography and the sexting context, um, there was recently a case in North Carolina where two um, people, two 17-year-olds were consensually sexting just to each other and, uh, they, the police somehow found out about this and ended up charging both of them with sexual exploitation of a minor. And they said, "Well, I'm sorry. Who, who am I exploiting? What minor am I, <laughs> I exploiting here?" And they said, "You're exploiting yourself because you're a minor and you're taking naked pictures of yourself and sending them to someone else." So these cases can be kind of Kafkaesque, and
5: yeah, and
2: really, I think parents, um, parents aren't aware of these laws. Uh, I mean, who would be? You're busy being a parent. You don't have time to sit down and read the North Carolina legal code and figure out, you know, that actually, you know, if your children are doing this, they could get in a lot of trouble. And it goes back to what you were talking about in that that case of the the mother um, being incarcerated for the the child's truancy. We've started um, criminalizing a lot of conduct. That previously would not have been handled in the criminal courts, but might have been handled through social services through um, some kind of community intervention um you know and and now we've decided let's make it a crime and let's give people records that haunt them for the rest of their lives and let's punish them and send them to prison even and we I think we've just gone really far away from uh the fundamental question of who is prison really for um Prison is for for scary, violent people that we're afraid of and and not just people that we're mad at.
1: And here's the thing. It's such a perfect example, and it just came up today on the news. I was just reading about it today. A mother was convicted. She got... uh, re- she got a five-year prison sentence or something like that and lost permanent custody of her three children because her children were playing by a fish pond on her own property. And honest to God, my, I'm looking out my window right now at a pond on my property that my children <laughs> have fallen into when they were ice skating, right? Yeah. So so this woman, her, her child, her youngest child fell into the water and drowned. Sadly, the boy did not live. But they arrested and convicted her because she was on Facebook when it happened. And her Mm -hmm. defense attorney was like, no, wait a second. She could have been doing the laundry. She could have been cooking dinner. She could have been doing anything and that happened. But you're going to arrest her and say that she has to lose custody of her children for the rest of her life and can never be around children, can never care for children for the rest of her life because she was on Facebook when it happened? Like, seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, and and that's what lawmakers do. You know, we hear a uh, hear a crime that sounds really bad and scary, like child endangerment, and we and lawmakers um, think, oh, well, you know, we need to crack down on child endangerment. So let's pass a mandatory prison sentence, and then that'll solve the problem, right? It'll deter all these moms from child endang- from endangering their children, and people won't do it anymore, and people will be responsible parents, and um, you know. And that it'll just that solve way. the problem. It'll make it go away. And we all know that's not how the real world works. Um, and and then we see these, these unintended consequences and these long mandatory sentences that aren't really doing anybody any good and, in fact, are causing a lot of damage.
1: And one of the cool things that I read on your website was that they um, – I think it was even Pennsylvania where I live – that they released so many – Um, So such a percentage of prisoners and it 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 didn't affect the public safety at all whatsoever, Um, you know, because these people that were incarcerated were not a a threat to public safety. You Mm -hmm. know, if anything, they were they were a threat to themselves. But, Mm -hmm. you know.
2: Yeah, it's really remarkable to visit, for example, a low security federal prison. Um, and I think there is one in Pennsylvania. And, um, you walk up and it's, it's easier to get through an airport than it is to get inside a low security federal prison to visit somebody. Um, there's no metal detectors. You don't get searched. There's no pat searches. There's, you know, no x-ray machines and you just walk in and you sit down and you have a visit with an inmate that you're there to see. And, at the end of your visit, you leave, and that's it. And um, it really—and these these low security prisons—they have no no fences, um, no you know barbed wire. Uh, these these the people who are incarcerated there could just walk away at any time. And when you go and visit one of them, you really wonder why is are it we keeping these people here? It's you know, it's like, a really like...
1: high priced taxpayer funded hotel. Oh my gosh! It I can't believe we're out of time. I can't stand it. I want to keep talking to you. <laughs> Well, you'll have to have me back on the show. Definitely. And in the meantime, I want everybody to check out your website, and it's FAMM, the uh, Council for Families Against Mandatory Minimums. Thank you so much, Molly, for joining us today, and also for Dr. Barbera and everybody else. If you want to join the conversation, check us out on Facebook at Parent Nation Radio or my website, com. Until next week, everybody, keep playing.
0: Until next time, remember this.
1: Parent Nation, why do we keep calling this the hardest job on the planet? Why don't we just appreciate the gift that we're given and try?